If you brought your Bibles, uh, you can open them up. Uh, I don't know, we're going to be in a couple of different places, Romans 12, Mark chapter 1. We're going to start in Mark 1, so if you brought your Bibles, you want to open them up, we're going to begin there. We started a new teaching series last week called, uh, called Rhythm, and uh, uh, it's ironic because I have none uh, that, that I'm teaching on this, um, but, but rhythm is just about patterns. Rhythm is about, is about tempo. I know we've got some music teachers in here. We've got, we got people who play instruments, uh, athletic people who have rhythm in, in their life. But, but rhythm is just about patterns and flow and pulse and tempo. It, but, it, but it's about timing, too. And we began this year talking about rhythm because <clears throat> I'm, I'm a little bit concerned that, that, that for many of us... Um, we, we're struggling with lives that, that, that are out of, out of, out of time. That, that live, we're struggling with lives that are, that are out of balance, that, that, that we're struggling to find a, a true rhythm with, with our spouses. We're, we're, we're struggling to find a true rhythm with, with work and home and, and kids. Uh, we're, we're struggling to find a true rhythm, maybe even, even with church and, and our faith. We're struggling to find true rhythm with God. And, and I, I see this in expose itself, express itself in a bunch of different ways. But I, I'm concerned because when, when you have rhythm, you know it and you got it and you can feel it. But I'm concerned because it feels like maybe our lives are a little bit out of rhythm. What would you say? Are, are you in rhythm? Are you in sync? Is everything in time? Is everything kind of working and operating as it should? Or, or is there just, there are just some things in your life that are off? So I want us to spend some time talking about rhythm and patterns and rhythms of our life. And, and uh, I think there's some examples that, that Jesus shows. Last week we looked at Romans chapter 12 and there was, there was kind of this rhythm statement in Romans 12, confident in hope, patient in trouble, constant in prayer. Do you hear that? Even in scripture, I, I know it's black and white and it's words on a page, but, but there's a rhythm that, that comes out of scripture. This whole uh, series was born... Last year, we did a teaching series through Mark, and in Mark chapter 1, verses 35 through 39, I, I picked up this, this what, what I perceived as a rhythm from Jesus. So I think we might have that on screen. Go ahead and throw it up there. In Mark, it says, before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. Later, Simon and the others went out to find him. When they, when they found him, they said, everyone is looking for you. But Jesus replied, we must go on to other towns as well, and I will preach to them too. That's why I came. You see, especially in Mark, um, <clears throat> Jesus kind of has this, this life rhythm, especially during his ministry. Jesus is incredibly busy about his work. His work is everything. He is, he is selecting uh, disciples, making apostles. He's preaching and teaching. He's traveling seven days a week. He's always moving. Uh, in fact, even in Mark, it says that, that Jesus and his disciples could not even sit down at a meal together without someone coming up uh, with a request for healing or, or with a request for teaching. Like, like you get this, this, this idea that Jesus and his, is very busy in his work. But like this passage shows, he also finds times to rest and to pray. And so I see this rhythm in, in Jesus' life, this, this rhythm of work, rest, and pray. And, and that's kind of where we're going over the next few weeks. Um, uh, in two weeks, we're going to talk about rhythm prayer. And, and next week, we're going to talk about rhythm rest. And I'm not looking forward to that one because I, I stink at that one. 
But this week, we're going to talk about rhythm work, and, and that puts a smile on my face because I like work. <clears throat> I do. Uh, I didn't always like work. Uh, when, I was, uh, when I was a kid, we used to go spend time with my, with my grandpa, and uh, my grandpa was this bald guy and uh, was this big Texan guy, and he lived on a farm with cows and all this kind of stuff. And in Texas, you have to get up really early and go to work, and then because of the hottest part of the day, you come in and take a nap, and we watch John Wayne movies. And uh, when it was super hot, and then we go back to work in the afternoon and evening, and that was kind of that was kind of the rhythm of of his work day. And uh, but as a kid, I hated going because man, he woke us up so early, and he would come into our room, and it was I mean the sun is long ways from being up, and he'd come in our room and he'd say, hey, it's time to get up, it's time to go to work, and okay, and we would just kind of roll over. And uh, my grandfather had this way of, of getting us up and out of bed and, and at work that, that I remember to this day. In fact, parents, this might be helpful. Did, did, are any of your, any your parents here or your kids, you have a hard time getting them out of bed? Is that, does that ever happen? Does that ever occur? All right, so the teens are like, don't say what you're going to say. Um, my grandpa, uh, to get me out of bed, would take a cup of ice water. And while I was sleeping on my pillow, if I rolled over, if we waited too long, he would come over our bed and he would pour ice water in my ear. Now, there ain't no snooze button that can compare with that. Like, y'all, like, you're getting up if that happens. Because first, it's the shock that hits you, and then you roll over. Now your pillow is soaked in ice water. And it was horrible, but that's how he got us up to work. And, and, and he taught us this kind of work, like, I had work gloves that stayed at grandpa's house. You know what I'm saying? Uh, he had pecan trees, and we would go out, and we would pick pecans from dawn to dusk, it felt like, you know, or we would go and take care of the cows, or something was broke on the tractor, and, and, and we began to work, and, and he taught me to really, to really love work. Uh, I love, uh, uh, I love uh, calluses and, and even getting blisters on my hand. I love that kind of manly work that makes you sweat. The, uh, and and uh, like we, uh, my wife and I, we put down wood floor, hardwood floors in our whole house recently. Like I know we're crazy. But at the end of the day when you're exhausted and, and you're tired and your muscles are wore out, you sleep good, don't you? Like it feels, there's a part of that, that that feels good and feels right. And so I want to cut down trees and do sod. And uh, it gets me into a lot of trouble sometimes because I love this idea of work. Um, and, and so I feel like, I feel like I'm the right person to talk to about work. But next week when we talk about rest, uh, it's going to be really struggle for me because <laughs> I'm not good at that. I think we were created for work. Even in Genesis, it, it, it talks about this idea. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, it says, Then God blessed them, blessed Adam and Eve, and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and work it. Right? You don't just get to sit in a chair and be rule over it, but, but to work at it, that idea is expressed again. In chapter 2, in verse 15 of Genesis, it said, The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and to watch over it. Like we're created, we're created to work. Uh, there's this expression, I, I was watching some crazy show about people living off the grid and no electricity, and, uh, but I heard this expression, um, the, the expression is chop wood, carry water. Uh, and it's, it's one of those kind of rhythm expressions. And, and I know it doesn't relate to us because we just turn the light switch on and turn the microwave on. But 
For people who live off the grid, chop wood, carry water, is that's the rhythm of their life. That's the rhythm of their day. And, and what it means is that <clears throat> work has this way of keeping us humble, right? Work has this way of, of making our, our actions deliberate and sincere. It, it, it reminds us of our place in the world. I know Dan Bond's here. Dan, you, you probably shoveled a few uh, stalls in your life, right? Like if work has this way of, of keeping us centered and reminding us of our place in the universe, right? Um, <clears throat> and I think when we work, it, it helps our lives to be a little bit more in rhythm uh, but my pet peeve is when, uh, when we don't work, things get out of rhythm. So I want to have a tangent a little bit about teenagers right now. So I was a student minister. I worked with teenagers for years and years and years and years and years. Uh, we even worked in a, an incredibly wealthy community. Basically, the Beverly Hills of Texas was a community we were in. We had, we had teenagers that, that drove much nicer, fancier cars than, than I had. One of our teenagers, perfect example, one of our teenagers had his golf club stolen out of his car. To replace his golf clubs was $10,000. So I don't know what kind of clubs he was using, but that ain't the kind I use so we had these, uh, these teenagers that had access to, to literally everything, and I could not tell the parents enough that, that, that I could not convince them that don't spoil your kids. Don't spoil them. Don't give your kids everything they ask for. And, and parents would always hit me with this, well, I just want them to have the childhood that I... Oh, shut up. <laughs> Get a life. You're, you didn't turn out that bad. You know what I'm saying? But it's kind of, well, I want them to have everything. No, come on. You're ruining it for them. You're ruining it for them. And, and, and I constantly pushed my parents about this. We did an in-town uh, mission week, and we made teens go out and work all week long in homeless shelters and, and doing all kinds of service work. And that became the most important event that none of my parents would let our teens miss because they, all of a sudden, their kids are learning the, the value of work. Like, I tell parents about this too, like, we don't believe in allowance. Uh, you don't get money just for being part of this family. Uh, sorry, for being part of this family, you get chores. Welcome. Glad you're here. You know what I'm saying? And, and um, I, I think every teen needs a set of work gloves that, you know, I, I think every teen needs to be in involved in a job, like, um, make them have some sort of job and keep it, and the teenagers are glaring at me right now. Um, but what you'll find is they're incredibly capable. Like, I, I believe in this so passionately because I've seen teenagers do some really incredible things. I've taken teenagers out of the country, even teens in here, we've done service stuff, and they'll blow you away. They'll blow you away because they know how to work, and they can learn, like, the joy and the humility that, that comes from work. And, and I... Again, pet peeve, you can completely disagree with Adam's parenting rules as much as you want. You're not going to hurt my feelings. But teens who know how to work, when they get to college, they're not going to wish, be wishy-washy about, well, I don't know what I want to be, right? Because they're already going to, something is going to, different is going to be still instilled inside of them. But parents, your job too, you have a work too, right? Your job is to be the primary spiritual influence in your kid's life. Uh, I want to reemphasize this to all parents in here. It's not David's job. It's not my job. 
But your role as parents, your work as parents is to teach your kids to love Jesus deeply and passionately in ways that are real and meaningful and good and life-giving. Can I get an amen? And it doesn't always work out, but that's, that's our job. And senior adults, I'm not going to leave you out either. I know some of you have been retired. Some of you don't remember the last time you clocked in from a nine to five. But are you done? Finished? Is your work over? I think I've told you all the story of yelling at the guy in the golf cart. Uh, I was playing golf one day, and uh, the, I got paired up with this guy. Put in, he was put in my golf cart, and he had been retired for six months. And he was like, this is the moment I've always been waiting for. I'm waiting for retire and not have to work anymore. And, and I was like, oh, really? Well, what are you doing with your life now? And he was like, well, we bought a little red sports car, and I'm playing golf seven days a week. And I yelled at him. What are you doing? This is the summation of your life? Like, I don't care if you're not going to a nine to five, but I was like, go to big brother, big sister, mentor someone, find something meaningful, some meaningful way to serve. You're, the fat lady has not sung. Your heart is still beating. And uh, um, he did not speak to me the whole rest of that golf game. Um, but I'm right, aren't I? Right? Like, we need to be involved in in a work because it's good for us. I love um, the example of, of Jesus. Um, Jesus in, uh, in, in the first part of Luke is, uh, he's 12 years old. He's going with his family to the feast of Passover. I don't know if you guys remember this. Um, 12 years old, they go to, they travel to Jerusalem for Passover and Jesus' parents aren't good parents. They're not paying attention to him and they actually leave Jesus in Jerusalem. They, they travel, and it says they're, they're a whole day away before they realize that Jesus isn't with them. They, they're a whole day away before they realize their 12-year-old isn't with them. And they come back, and they spend a whole extra day looking for him. So Jesus spends three days alone in Jerusalem. And when his parents finally find him, where is he? He says, I'm in my, didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? The, the, the Greek there is really interesting because um, what it says is, didn't you know that it was an absolute necessity that I be about my father's business? Didn't you know it was an absolute necessity that I be about my father's work? Look what Colossians chapter 3, verses 22 through 24 says. And I know this is tough because it kind of talks about slaves. I don't want to get too, too deep into that. But it's in this section about submission and serving others and wives and parents and kids and masters. But in Colossians it says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything you do. Try to please them all the time, not just when they are watching you. Serve them sincerely because of uh, your reverent fear of the Lord. Then look what it says in verse 23. Work, work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance. Oh, that's First Peter language, right? Inheritance as your reward and that the master you are serving is who? Who's it say? Work willingly at whatever you do. He didn't put a whole lot of parameters on it. He said, whatever you do, work at it, and work at it as if you are working, not for some other people, but working for the Lord. Ephesians 6, 7 says the same thing. It says, work with enthusiasm as if you are working for the Lord rather than people. Maybe the task that you're doing are the same as everyone else in your office. 
But the reason, the motivation behind our work as Christians is fundamentally different. Do you get that? We aren't working to please just our bosses. We aren't working because of a deadline or a quota. We aren't working to serve ourselves or our interests. But our work is for the Lord. And it doesn't matter if it's office work or housework or yard work or home work. The style and the sincerity and the attitude and the ethic you display in your work tells us something about who you're working for. Your work tells us something, tells the world, tells your neighbors, tells your coworkers about your relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, I want to put a side note on this. We don't work uh, to, to somehow earn grace. James is going to talk a lot about this in the Bible. You can go there. You can turn there on your own. Uh, this isn't a, uh, you're not working to earn your inheritance. That's not the way it works. Uh, Jesus' gift is his death, his burial, his resurrection. What he offers us is this free gift, right? But because we have received this free gift, we respond, right? We get a chance to respond. If, uh, if my numbers come in, oops, I don't have a Powerball ticket. I would never admit to having that. Um, <clears throat> but if my numbers came in and uh, I received this great gift, well, how would I respond? Or if I gave you a great gift... How would you respond? Man, you'd respond in kind probably, right? And that's what we receive. We receive this great gift. James would go on to say that faith without work is dead. Uh, and, and that's a big statement. You know, he doesn't say faith without work is, well, it's just kind of okay. No, he said if you have faith and, and you, you can't show the work that's there, man, you're your faith isn't on life support. Your life is dead and your, your faith is dead and buried. You can't happen. It can't fully perceive and receive the gift of God's grace and not be compelled to some sort of action. James will say, show me your faith and I will show you my work. Our faith is inseparably linked to our work. Now, Romans chapter 12 talks about this work. Um, he, he talks about the idea of a body. You guys remember this? Romans chapter 12, verses 4 through 8. Let me read it. Just as our bodies have many parts, and each part has a special function, each part has a special job to do, a special work, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. In His grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. He's given us different gifts for doing certain works. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If, if your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously, Rob. And if you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do your work gladly. You know, uh, over the Advent, uh, Advent series uh, this past year, this past December, uh, we gave out, I think it was like $1,300 worth of cash, and we put it in different envelopes. Uh, and we gave it to you guys as a congregation, and we said, we simply want you to take this, these, this money in envelopes, and we just want you to bless the community. We've heard some incredible stories back from, from how that's worked. We didn't tell you where or how. We just, you know, 
If there's a way for you to bless people in this community, that's what we want you to do. That's what we want to be known for as a church. We care about this community. We just want you to take these, these cards and bless. I want to read you <clears throat> some of the cards I got back. Mr. and Miss Pick Gaddis answered a prayer when they gave me money from the church. They are the best of friends who have helped me deal with the lupus I have. She even offered to spend the night in the hospital with me on a snowy winter night after surgery. She is one of the most selfless people I've ever known. As a child, my parents took two needy children to buy clothes, coats, etc., and I remember they had never been to McDonald's. Um, but I remember how excited they were. My parents wanted to reinforce the joy one receives to give to those in need rather than to be, only to overly, to be overly self-indulgent. Uh, she goes on, thanks for your generosity, and I will pray as you continue to spread the word of our Lord, Kimberly. We got another great card uh, from to the church. It says, a family came in to see me at my work, Charles and his children, infamous. <clears throat> they gave me a gift of, of love and said it was from our church. I was shocked and overjoyed with the thought that someone would even think of me. I'm now able to use the gift of money towards gas to go see my son, 16-year-old 16 16 son in Texas. I have not seen him in two years. Their family is so loving and kind towards me. I will never, um, I, I will never get to this beautiful action. I will never forget this beautiful action of love. They give me hope and encourage me all of the time. I have lost everything, uh, can barely see the light of day sometimes, but uh, I am so grateful for the Aspen Grove community to extend such love to me in, uh, in my time of need. And uh, she simply says, thank you from Deborah and a very happy boy that will be able to see his mom at Christmas. Work, right? Roman says, man, if, if, if your gift is prophecy, speak boldly. If your work is serving others or a teacher or an encourager or a leader, or maybe your work is just kindness. If your work is generosity, he says, do work. Verse 11 of Romans says, never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Are you honest and truthful in your dealings at work? Are you prayerful in your work, dependent upon God? How does your work bless others? Is the money you're, you're earning at your work used to bless and benefit others? Does your work, your work ethic glorify God? Are you letting your light shine before others? Is, is your work done in love? Let all that you do be done in love. Are you being, as 2 Corinthians says, an ambassador for Christ? Because God is making his appeal through us. We work for God. His business is our business. Uh, we're in the business of kindness, of goodness, of peace, of patience, gentleness, hope. We're in the business of redemption. We are in the business of discipleship. If we work for him, then we are in the business of salvation. We work for the Lord. We get to work in the good news factory, the gospel factory, the salvation factory, not earning something for ourselves, but introducing everyone to the good news of Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? 
Later this year, we're going to teach through the book of Nehemiah, and, and I can't go into everything. Man, the Bible says so much about work. But later this year, we're going to teach through Nehemiah, and there, there comes this point. Nehemiah is rebuilding the wall around Jerusalem. It becomes this really important task. And there are these people that, that see his work and, and want to distract him, Sanballat and Geshem. They, they want to plot and kill Nehemiah. They want to stop his work. They want to delay it or, or, or somehow distract him. And look what Nehemiah says in chapter 6, verse 3. He says, I am engaged in a great work, so I can't come. Why should I stop working to come and meet you? He goes on in chapter 6, verse 9, when people try to intimidate him from his work, um, he says, they, they were just trying to intimidate us, imagining that they could discourage us and stop the work. So I continued the work with even greater, what's the word? Work willingly. Work enthusiastically. Work with determination. But don't be distracted from your true work. Are you with me? Your work is that great commission to go into all the world, to, to baptize in the name of Jesus Christ, to make disciples. Recently, my, uh, my sweet daughter, a seven-year-old daughter, we, uh, so one of, our, one of our rhythms is every morning when she's in the car, we, we, every time we get in the car, we say a prayer together. And recently, my sweet, my sweet daughter reminded me of our work. So it was her day to pray, and so we're, we're kind of praying for everything, you know, and I'm like, come on, babe, let's be, you know, really think about your prayer. Let's make it count. And my sweet seven-year-old daughter said, I pray that Aspen Grove Christian Church will grow followers of Jesus Christ. Isn't that our work? So I, I, it doesn't matter to me if if you're retired from your 9 to 5 or if you've never even had a 9 to 5 or you're in the middle of the 9 to 5 thing, you and I have a job to do, to share Christ with our friends and neighbors, to bring him into the world, to make disciples. So in just a moment, I'm going to say a prayer and invite you to a time of communion. And maybe this is your first time with us. So uh, we, we've done the pass the tray thing sometimes, and maybe that'll come back. But right now we have three communion stations set up around our room, and uh, we don't do that to, to de-emphasize it, but we, we want to make this time really important. We believe the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the defining moment in our world, in our lives, and we want to prioritize it. So in a few moments, I'm going to say a prayer and dismiss you to these tables you can uh, in, enjoy a time of communion with someone else. Maybe God's put it on your heart to respond. You want one of the shepherds or I to pray for you, man. We would love to do that. Maybe God's put it on your heart to respond. You're ready to give your life to Christ today. Maybe your life has just been tragically out of rhythm. Your work's been out of rhythm. And we can pray for you, man. We, we want to be able to do that. And this is, this is that time. Maybe you want your own quiet time too, and we respect that. But in just a moment, I'm going to say a prayer. And I just invite you to this time of communion I ask you, have you been distracted from your work? Has, has your rhythm been off? May you not be lazy or distracted. May you work with determination and enthusiasm. May you work as if for the Lord. Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you so much for your word and 
its power, the way your spirit moves through us. God, I pray that, uh, that your work and, and even the rhythm of your, your son's life would, would compel us to live differently because of this great inheritance that we've received, Father God. God, don't, don't let us as a church be distracted. Right now, God, I ask for a new fire to be building in each one of us, a fire of concern and care for those in our, in our neighborhoods and in our blocks and in our city that don't know you. God, what happened, what happened to us that, that we quit caring about people? We quit caring about the people you care about, the people that you sent your son to seek and to save. And so, Father God, help us to have a concern for the lost. Let that fire grow and build in us as a church. Father God, help us in our rhythm. Some of us are sitting here, and, and we can't even hear these words because we're already thinking about 12,000 12, other things. Father God, help us to see that even in our work, even in our job place or our, our homes, remind us of our work is to grow followers of Jesus Christ, to make disciples, to baptize in your name, to share the good news of your son, Jesus Christ. And Father God, it's because of him that we enter into this time of communion and response. We thank you so much for his sacrifice, for his blood that was spilled for us and his body that was broken for us. We love you, Father. And in your son Jesus' name, everyone together says, Amen. I invite you to a time of communion together.